Welcome to Rancho Baptist Church. This message was brought to you by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. Pastor Jason Swanson is our senior pastor here at RBC, and this message was recorded during our regular Sunday morning services. Today, Pastor Jason begins a three-part Christmas series, and today is part one in a sermon he's entitled, The God Who Remembers. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, and today Jason is looking at verses 5 through 25. Here's Jason. Well, good morning once again, and welcome to Rancho Baptist Church. I am Pastor Jason, the senior pastor, and I'm very excited about being back with you all. Thank you to to Pastor Eric for preaching last week, and appreciate your prayers for my family and I. I took Shannon, my wife, and my oldest daughter, Kara, to to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, to see a Lyme specialist there, and they were treated, and Lord willing, we're going to see them continue to get better as they have die-off. But as we came home, and I came to church, and all of a sudden, everything was so beautiful in here. And I was so excited to see the trees and, and, and everything all, all dolled up. And, and whoever did that, thank you for just making things so special. It, um, it really reminded me of, of our time in Papua New Guinea, especially as yesterday we went and, and, and we purchased a tree. And it, and it wasn't a fake tree, it was a real tree. And in Papua New Guinea, all the years that we served as missionaries there, they, they were always fake trees. And I still remember, I believe it was our first Christmas in our village called Siawi. We, we had a group of people come up to us and they said, aren't we going to celebrate Christmas together? And you have to understand, these are people who didn't know about Jesus. And so I couldn't understand, what do you mean? Aren't we going to celebrate Jesus together? What does that look like? And they said, well, that looks like you bake us a whole bunch of cakes. <laughs> well, oh, okay, now I see. So, so that's what this is all about. We bake you a whole bunch of cakes. And, yeah. And then we play soccer. And, and I said, okay, back up a little bit. So why exactly are we celebrating Christmas? And they said, oh, we don't know. And I said, okay, well, well rather than doing that quite yet, why don't you let us teach you about the birth of this one that we celebrate at Christmas? And after we teach you God's Word, then we can revisit this again. And we can talk about, okay, how do you want to celebrate the birth of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? And, and so we kind of hit a pause button. And if you were to go back to, to Papua New Guinea and, and, and visit our village in Siawi, you would see that they are still celebrating the birth of the, of the Christ child. And, and you wouldn't see all of this. <laughs> what you would see is believers gathering together, opening up God's Word to Luke chapter 2, and remembering how God became flesh. And, and just what an awesome day that was. And... I thought, you know, I don't want to miss out on this time of remembering. And I don't want any of us to miss out on this time of remembering what this is all about. 
that yes, the lights are great, the trees are great, the presents are great, but it all points to something that is much, much greater and more significant than that. And so what we're going to do is we're going to spend a little bit of time going through Luke chapter 1. And it's neat that we get to go through Luke. And first we're going to do chapter 1 today, and then, and then next week we'll look at, at chapter 2, part of it. But what's so interesting is that, of course, this is the same man that, that wrote the book of Acts. And so we have to understand that, that some of the same things that, that Luke shows us in, in Acts, we're going to see in the book of Luke, his gospel. And the fact that God is in control, that God is orchestrating all these things for this time. But before we open up the book of Luke, it's important for us to understand how Luke fits in with the rest of God's Word. And many times people separate the Old Testament from the New Testament, saying, oh, there's nothing we can get from the Old Testament. That's not the case at all. The Old Testament is the glove that that fits perfectly in with the New Testament. And, And as we understand where things are coming from in the Old Testament to this time, it adds so much more meaning to Luke and what we're going to see today. And if we were to turn back and and, and look at Malachi, the the last prophet, the last book in the Old Testament, we'd see that from Malachi to to Matthew, that God stopped speaking. That there's no more prophets that that come. There's no angels that that approach people. There's no miracles happening. And, And really what everybody calls it is a time of silence. And what we're going to see today is the breaking of that silence. What we're going to see today is the God who remembers. That even in light of seeing this remarkable story unfold about about Zacharias and his wife Elizabeth and their coming child John, who becomes John the Baptist, who is seen in Scripture, we'll see today as great. That no matter how great he is, no matter how neat it is that Zacharias' dad was a priest, that all of this points to someone greater. That all of this points to the baby in a manger. And I want us to remember that. So turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 1. And we're going to look at verses 5 to 25 today. And the God who remembers. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah and He had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. Now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense." And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and he will drink no wine or liquor and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God 
It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah said to the angel, How will I know this for certain? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. The angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you shall be silent and be able to speak until, and not be able to speak until the day when these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their proper time. The people were waiting for Zacharias and were wondering at his delay in the temple. But when he came out, he was unable to speak to them and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. When the days of his priestly service were ended, he went back home. After these days, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant and she kept herself in seclusion for five months, saying, This is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace among men. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We rejoice for all that is contained in it. For all the truth that you have clearly revealed in your word. We pray now that you would Teach us from your word that you would allow the Holy Spirit to use this word in our lives and our hearts to prick us, to cause us to better understand the significance of this time of year where we celebrate your precious birth, Lord. Be honored now as we spend time in your word. In Jesus' precious name, amen. So what we're going to see today is we're going to see four snapshots. Four snapshots that God gives us into the life of of John the Baptist, the forerunner of his dad. This priest, Zechariah. First, we're going to see that he's a faithful priest. Then we're going to see he's a fearful priest. Then we're going to see he's a faithless priest. And finally, we're going to see that he's a favored priest. But as we look at these snapshots, I want us all to remember and to recognize that, that even though Zacharias is, is in the focal point here, that even though John the Baptist is considered great, all of this points forward to someone greater, to the Savior. Because God remembers what He promised. And that is what this is all about. Him bringing that promise to fruition. So first, let's, let's look at Zacharias as a faithful priest. Verses 5 to 7. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both advanced in years. Now, sometimes in Scripture, when you see people's names, there's significance. And other times in Scripture, there's no significance behind their names. In this case, there's significance behind everybody's name that that is in 
the family of Zacharias. Zacharias' name has significance. Elizabeth, his wife, has significance. And we'll see that John, their son, his name has significance. And as we look at all these names put together, it's quite remarkable is what God is communicating to us. Zacharias means remembered of Yahweh or Yahweh remembers. Again, that God had not forgotten what He had promised even though things had gone black. Even though for now 400 years, God had not communicated. Even though for 500 years we hadn't seen an angel. And it had been over 800 years where you see multiple miracles. And yet what's going to happen is this is going to start, this is like the, the prologue of the story that is now going to start, that's all pointed towards the coming Messiah. So Zechariah means remembered of Yahweh. Elizabeth means God has sworn or God has promised. And then there's John, and and his name means God has graciously given. Zechariah, remembered of Yahweh. Elizabeth, God has sworn. John, God has graciously given. You, You put these names together, and this is what you get. Yahweh remembers what He promised by graciously giving John. All is preemptive to the coming of the Messiah. Isn't that neat? That that even in their names, God is pointing forward saying, I am a faithful God. I am a God who remembers my promises. And I'm going to graciously give you John, who is just a picture of the one to come that is so much more greater than John. And yet, even as we look at this, we we, we can see that there's no fanfare with, with this man, Zacharias. When, when it comes to describe him, actually his, his wife seems to have a little bit more prominence than he does because she comes from the Levitical line from Levi. He, he, com- he comes from a group of the Abijah, which is totally unknown. He isn't one of the main priests that, that, that I talked about earlier that resides in Jerusalem and is, and is part of this strong family. He's actually one of the priests that lives outside. And as such... He lives outside of Jerusalem, and as such, he would come to Jerusalem once a year for two weeks and, and serve his priestly duties, and no doubt probably had a, had a normal job back at home. And, and yet it does tell us that there are some pretty important credentials that, that we see in, in both of them. Not only from where they're coming from, that, that he was a priest, and that, that his wife was a daughter of a priest, which had to happen, which again shows us that he's no different than any other priest. And why would God choose him? Since he's so common. And yet that isn't that just like God's wonderful grace? That, that he would use a common priest just as he uses us because of his great greatness and his grace that's manifested in our weakness. But notice how how he describes them. He says that they were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments. How can that be? Doesn't Romans teach us that that all fall short? That there's no one righteous? No, not one? How can they be righteous in God's sight? The only way they can be righteous in, in God's sight is the way you and I can be righteous in God's sight. By faith, or by grace through faith. 
through our faith. That's the only way. Recognizing as they did, no doubt, that there's no way they could live up to the righteous standard of the law. That the law would reveal their sinfulness. And they would say, yes, Lord, we get it. We can't live up to this righteous standard of you, but we're trusting you. And by faith, we're going to trust in you just as Abraham trusted in you. Just as Noah trusted in you. So what, what they are is they're a picture of an Old Testament saint. And we need to recognize that there's not one way of salvation in the Old Testament that in the, in the Old Testament was you worked and then you earned your salvation. And then there's a new way of salvation in the New Testament. No, they are one of the same. They are exactly the same. Just as we are saved today by grace through faith, in the Old Testament, they were saved in just the same way. By grace through faith. But we need to recognize this doesn't mean that they did not see the need for the very righteousness of Christ to be given to them. This doesn't mean they were perfect by any stretch of the imagination. We're going to see that. That they are indeed waiting for the Messiah. And they recognize their need for His righteousness. But, but then look at verse 7. As we see for all the good things that are mentioned about, about this faithful priest, we, we see kind of a tragedy. Because they have no child. And, and while here in America that, that, that may not be seen as such a tragedy, for them it, it was a terrible tragedy. Because everyone would look at that and they would look upon them with great reproach. And they would say the only reason that can happen is because of divine punishment. You obviously have done something that has kept God from blessing you with a child. And being a priest, it's, it's, it's amped up even more. Why? Because he would pass on the priesthood to his son. And yet God doesn't, hasn't given them a son. It's interesting to note that, that as John grows up and starts his ministry, you know what he isn't? He isn't a priest. <laughs> he, he doesn't function in, in the priesthood. And yet that was all part of God's design, God's plan, that he would be what? He would be the front runner, the forerunner, as we will see. But notice this too, that, that in spite of the terrible spot that they were in, in spite of the fact that God had not given them a child yet, you don't see Zacharias walking away from the priesthood and saying, okay, I give up. This isn't worth it. You haven't answered my prayer. You don't see Zacharias characterized as being bitter, as being angry, as being distraught. In fact, we see the opposite. We see him being characterized as a faithful priest. But just because he's faithful doesn't mean that he's perfect. And, and, and what we see next is, is he is a fearful priest. Look at verses 8 to 10. Now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. As I said earlier, he would come into Jerusalem and he would serve for two weeks and then go back home. He was one of many priests. 
there were 24 divisions of priests, 24 separate categories of priests to which he was a part of this Abijah division. And most commentators believe that there was 1,000 priests in each of those divisions. So if you do the math, there's 24,000 priests. That's a lot of priests. But just think about this on Passover. Guess how many lambs were slaughtered? Around 100,000. One day. That's a lot of priests that are having to do this, right? And so, as he comes to do his service, you, you can see God's timing in all of this. Of all the priests, those 24,000 to choose from, he chose Zacharias. And no priest was permitted to offer this incense more than once in his lifetime. And it wasn't something that every one of these 24,000 priests would be able to do. Not at all. And if they were chosen again after the first time, they, they, they could only do it once. So no doubt, Zacharias is thinking, oh man, this is a great, great day. Why? Because he's able to do this incredible thing. Which is this. He's able to come in here into the holy place which, which separ- separates the holy of holies where God resides and the holy place only with this veil that, that hung right in the middle there. And as he would come in, we have to recognize that he's never done this before. He's only had people, other priests, tell him, okay, this is what it's going to look like. Why? Because this isn't something that every priest does, and it's not like you can go in there and give it a trial run. And so when he walks in, this is the first time he's seen this. And what does he see? He sees these three gold pieces. He sees the lampstand that you can see there, the table of showbread, and he sees this, this altar of incense. And that's where he's going to do his work. But before he goes in, he, he needs to get some hot coals. And he's gonna, and he's gonna fill them in this, this golden censor. But he, but he also needs to get some incense, some oil. And, and so what he does is, is, is he goes in and no doubt he, he's scared. Why? Because this is a holy place. This isn't the holy of holies, but it's still holy. And he's gotta do everything right. And so what does he do? He, he, he brings that golden censor and he, and he drops all those coals in, into this big bowl that is it, that's altar of incense. And, and then he takes that oil and he, and he dumps that on top of those hot coals. And right when that happens, smoke starts to billow everywhere. But it's not the normal kind of smoke that you and I think of uh, around a, a, a fire outside. <laughs> Why? Because that smoke doesn't smell good. This smoke smells incredibly good. And as that smoke reaches up, it fills the whole room and then it keeps coming. And it comes all the way outside where people are standing and where people actually begin to pray. Oh, sorry. Not there yet. But why would God want them to offer this fragrance? This, this sweet-smelling, fragrant incense in the first place. 
because it was supposed to be a picture of prayer. That as his children, as his nation of Israel offered prayers to him, that it was pleasing in his sight. Just as this aroma, this fragrance from the smoke would, would be pleasing to, to all of those that were gathered outside. And even to Zacharias as the priest. And it was customary after the incense. So right when Zacharias, Zacharias finishes adding that oil on and, and then all the smoke comes up, it was customary that at that point he's supposed to bow and pray. But it was a quick prayer. Why? Because he's scared to death of being in this place. So he's not just going to hang out there. He's going to finish his business and then get out. But instead, Zacharias is interrupted. Look at verses 11 and 12. Just at this time, when he's normally going to start praying, and an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the altar of incense, Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel and fear gripped him. So just as Zacharias is getting ready to offer this, the angel appears. Does God have to send an angel? No. This is God's grace. Does He even have to appear in in, in this form? No, angels are are, are a spirit. But God wanted to make it known to Zacharias exactly what was happening. And think about this. We're going to see where, where this angel comes from. He says his name is Gabriel. He says he comes from the presence of the Lord. The only way for an angel to be in the presence of the Lord is if he is holy. So so no doubt the natural response when you come into holiness, especially if you recognize your own sinfulness, is fright. Is Isaiah's response. Man, I'm an unclean man. And, and, And that's where we see Zacharias being, what? Startled. That means to be thrown into turmoil and confusion. Why? Because he played the scenario out in his mind. Okay, first I get the colts, then I dump that, then I do this, and then I pray, and then I leave. Whoa! Wait, wait, there's there's an angel. That's not supposed to happen. And then on top of it, this is a holy angel, which no doubt gripped him and scared him. And then when it says gripped with fear... It's even stronger than this idea of being just in turmoil and confusion. It's to be in in complete fright and terror. He had no idea what to do. And isn't it interesting how, how genuine piety and someone who walks with the Lord when he, when he comes face to face with the holiness of God recognizes how unworthy he is. But Praise the Lord, the angel doesn't leave Zacharias in that state for very long. In this fear and trepidation, scared to death stage. Look at verses 13 to 17. The angel speaks to him. That's God's grace. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. This had to be the best day ever for Zacharias. Not only was he chosen to, 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 to do the incense, to do the incense altar, but then on top of that, he, he has a visitation from an angel 
who then on top of that gives him this incredibly good news. This speaks again and again of the gospel. That that is what the angel is, is referring to. As he, as he says what? He says that he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Isn't it funny to recognize that, that even before John is born and all of that transpires with John, that, that he's seen as being someone who is great in the Lord. Not great in the sight of men. Actually, when, when you think about John, I don't think people thought of John the Baptist as that great. Why? Because, well, well for one, his diet was very weird. He, he ate locusts and wild honey. His clothing was... It was camel's hair and and a leather belt. And the the things that he preached weren't very well received by the Pharisees and, and, and even his own nation. But what did he do? He was pointing forward to the Christ, to the Messiah. So so he was great in that aspect, but he was not great at all compared to the Lord compared to the one that he was pointing to. And in essence, I believe what these verses are saying, it's literally showing that the angel's proclamation is really a proclamation of the gospel. That it's pointing past John to the one who will come after him. The good news of Jesus Christ. And finally, what what we see is he's going to turn many sons back. This is the word for conversion. That they would trust in the Lord. God has been silent. He is no longer silent. And He's going to send a forerunner, a front runner to them. All for the direct purpose of the coming of the Messiah. That they would what? That they would accept their Messiah. And think about it. Up to this point, Everything looks pretty good. Okay, yes, that, 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 no doubt Zacharias is still a little bit fearful. But everything that the angel has told him is great, great news. It's just that Zacharias's understanding of the news and walking in faith is where it kind of goes awry. As we see that, that Zacharias, instead of being continuing to to be a faithful priest. He struggles here with being a faithless priest. A faithless priest. That he is indeed full of unbelief. Look, Look at verse 18. Zechariah said to the angel, How will I know this for certain? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Instead of looking to God and His faithfulness, and even look back, looking back on, on the history of the nation of Israel and remembering what God had done for Abraham and Sarah. He looks where? He looks at himself. And he looks at his wife. And he says, nope, this cannot happen. This is totally impossible. And this, of course, is not the right response. <laughs> This is not what God was hoping for. God wanted him to take his word by faith. And so look at how the angel responds to this one who is obviously a a faithless priest. 
The angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you shall be silent and and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. Gabriel here means man of God. That God had what God had sent him. This wasn't Gabriel's idea. This is God's idea. That he came from the very presence of God. And that he had been commanded and commissioned by God to accomplish whatever God wanted, which in this case was to herald the coming of Zacharias' son, who would be the forerunner. Isn't it interesting to note that that because of Zacharias' sin with his mouth, God stops his mouth. On top of that, think of what would have been the natural recourse or the natural way for everything to work itself out if Zacharias' mouth hadn't stopped. What is he going to do when he comes out of this area? He's going to start telling everybody what happened. No doubt. He's going to start kind of bragging. Are you kidding? You, you won't believe what happened to me in there. I saw an angel. An angel of the Lord appeared to me. And he said this, and he said this, and he said this. And perhaps God didn't want Zacharias to get in the way of what God had. No doubt the people would have loved to hear this. Look at verse 21. Because they start wondering what is going on. This wasn't common for someone to stay inside that long. The people were waiting for Zacharias and were wondering at his delay in the temple. Normally the priest only stayed in the temple for a short time. So Zacharias... Long time inside the temple was, was totally out of place. No doubt the people's worst fear was the fact that he was now dead. Just as they had recognized that when the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement, do you know that they actually would put bells on him in case he did something wrong and dropped dead? And they had a rope tied around him and they'd pull him out. I'm sure that's what they were thinking. Oh my, what has happened to Zacharias? How come he has not come out? And look at what happens when he does come out. But when he came out, verse 22, he was unable to speak to them and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. So when he comes out, he can't speak and they draw their own conclusion that he must have seen a vision. Actually, it wasn't a vision. It was a real live angel. But praise the Lord, Zacharias' story doesn't stop there with his unbelief. That God doesn't say, okay, done. You know what? I'm going to find another priest. No, God is much more gracious than that. And, and what we see in the end is that Zacharias is a favored priest. As his wife says, that God looks upon them with favor. Look at verses 23 to 25 and we'll, we'll close with this. When the days of his priestly service were ended, he went back home. So he couldn't go home right away. He actually had to finish what he started. And it could have been that this happened at the beginning of his two-week stint, so he had to spend another 10 days, 11, who knows, which would have been very difficult. After these days, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant and she kept herself in seclusion for five months saying, 
This is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when He looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace among men. And don't miss the significance of these verses. Do you think that Zacharias was happy about returning home? Do you think quite possibly that this could have been the fastest trip he ever made back home? Man, I would think so. I don't think anything's going to stop him once he finished, and he probably tried to finish early that day with his priestly responsibilities. And then he got home as quickly as he could. Why? Because of all the wonderful things that he had to share with his wife. The angel, the blessing, the birth of their son, the Messiah that was to come. All of those things. But then on top of it, he couldn't speak. So no doubt he was trying to figure out in his mind how he's going to articulate this to his wife. And I'm thinking he must have wrote something down. And just as Hannah returned from the temple and was able to conceive, so Elizabeth is able to conceive by God's grace. When, when her body and Zacharias's were well beyond that time frame where they could physically be able to do that. This indeed is a miracle, but it doesn't hold a candle to what we're going to see in the life of Mary. But, but look at verse 24. 24. What does it say about Elizabeth? She rejoices and yet she, she hides herself in seclusion for five months. Why is that? Well, I think it tilts the hand in, in, in 25 where you see that, that she'd been helped in her disgrace among men. No doubt everybody had looked at them and said, oh yes, you're the couple without a son. And so now, rather than continuing on in that, and maybe actually guessing as to whether or not this was really going to happen, she thought, you know what? If I wait five months, by the time that five months hits, my, my, my tummy, my stomach, it's going to be large enough that there will be no doubt about her pregnancy and that it's obvious for all to see. And then they can rejoice with everyone of, uh, for what God has done. And how does she look at this pregnancy? She sees it as a wonderful, gracious act of God. To give to her what they've been praying for. Because that's what the text says, right? It says, as you have been petitioning the Lord. Actually, that, that Greek word for petitioning, it, it has this nuance of something that happened habitually, something that they continually did over and over and over again. This was the thing that they prayed for as a couple, forever. And no doubt they had thought, oh, it's never going to happen. And instead, God graciously intervenes. You know, after the priest would burn the incense, and, and then that smoke would go up, he'd, he'd stop as I said and pray. And then he'd go outside, and he'd recite this thing that was called the Aaronic blessing, or the priestly blessing, and it's found in Numbers. Chapter 6, 24 to 26. And, and you probably never thought or heard of or, or don't have any idea what the Aaronic blessing is, except for you do. We, we say it quite often. It goes like this. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. That's what the priest would say as he was exiting, as he was walking down the steps, leaving. 
And do you know that as the people were outside waiting for Him, as, as they smelled that aroma of the incense coming out to them, they had a part to play too. And they traditionally, they would chant something like this, God of mercy, come into your holy sanctuary and receive with pleasure the offering of your people. And so they were able to do that, but you know what didn't happen? Zacharias coming and giving them the ironic blessing. When he came out to the steps, they no doubt waited, and then they found that's when he could not speak. But turn with me to Luke and we'll close with, with this. 67 to, chapter 1, 67 to 75. And let's see what Zacharias does say when he is able to speak. Remembering that for nine months now he hasn't been able to speak. And what is the first thing that comes out of his mouth? This is great. And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied saying, Blessed be the God of Israel, the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited us and accomplished redemption for His people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David His servant. He's not talking about His son John. He, that, for, for redemption to come, He's talking about the Messiah. Zacharias recognizes fully well the significance of what the angel has promised him. The significance that everything is not pointing to His son. Everything is pointing to one greater than His son to this horn of salvation, to this one from the house of David. As He spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets from of old, salvation from our enemies. Salvation isn't coming from John. Salvation is coming from the Christ. And from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember His holy covenant, the oath which He swore to Abraham our father, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve Him without fear, and holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. He was thinking about the kingdom. He was recognizing that what His Son was going to do was significant only because of the One to come after Him, the Christ child, whom we celebrate this time of year. Why? Because this is a God who remembers. This is a God who blesses and graces their family and as a result, graces all of us. So what do we do with this? Just two thoughts. Two things to, to ponder this week. Think about how Zacharias at such a wonderful time showed unbelief. And might we show unbelief at this time as well? When we're supposed to be celebrating the birth of our Savior. Watch out for unbelief. What can you do to foster an attitude of faith? Spiritual sensitivity. Consider this as well, number two. Consider how Zacharias had to learn his lesson by being mute for nine months. No doubt, incredibly hard. But when Jesus, when John is born and he can speak, the first thing Zacharias does is praise God and proclaim His Word. What does God want to do through you? No doubt there are neighbors right next door that right now they're probably the happiest you're ever going to find them. At least most people during Christmas time. What a wonderful opportunity to share with them the reason for the season. That this is a celebration of God becoming man and coming to earth as a helpless babe. Let's pray.
Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word, for how it reminds us of just how incredible Your ways are. How You never forget because You are perfect. And how every promise that You have ever made will come to fruition. It will happen exactly as You say. Lord, give us a greater faith. Help us not to be as Zacharias was, to look at things through the eyes of unbelief, but to trust You. And allow us to to be bold proclaimers of Your good news as, as Gabriel was to Zacharias. Allow us to be Your heralds throughout our neighborhoods and in our workplaces and wherever You send us. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. Here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.com. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org Have a great day in the Lord and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.